0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at WildwoodChurch.org. If you've been with us the last number of weeks, you know that we have been uh, on a series out of the Book of Hebrews and. Uh, we've seen this dating all the way back to the beginning of May when we started this series, and we're going to wrap up the series next Sunday, but over these weeks of this series, we've seen how really the theme of the book of Hebrews is that of our need to be anchored to the rock of our salvation. That if we have been a believer in Christ for some time, the temptation exists for us to to just kind of tread water for a while and and think that we can maintain our intimacy and our relationship with the Lord without actively clinging to Christ, and What this book has shown us is that when we do that, we're at risk of the current of this world causing us to drift away from Him, and that we have a need to actively anchor ourselves to Christ on a daily basis. And uh, we've seen that unfolded over a a number of chapters, and we're going to see another installment of that today by looking at chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. But before we look at chapter 12, 5 to 11 today, uh, I want to tell you a couple stories. And uh, these stories relate to two different men That God has used in in big ways in my life from the time when I was very young. Uh, One of them is my grandfather and one of them is my dad. My grandfather, my my mom's dad, uh, was a World War II vet. He owned a a, uh, gas station in Knoll, Missouri and uh, made a living for himself there. But we lived about two hours away from him and and on occasion, my grandpa would have opportunity to come over, and I used to love it when grandpa would come. And as as a little guy, you know, four, five, six, seven years old, just love it when grandpa would come because he'd show up with my grandma and my grandma, my mom, and my sister. They would go do girl things, but grandpa was locked in on me. And he'd say, you know, "Hey, are you ready to go?" And I knew exactly what that meant. Uh, that meant that he was going to take me on a walk down to the U-Totem grocery store, a little little convenience store about three or four blocks from my house. And I used to love walking down there with Grandpa. I thought it was the best thing in the world. We'd walk down there and he'd buy me a bottle of Coke and we'd, we'd walk across the street and we'd sit by this creek and we'd skip rocks on the water and we'd look for crawdads and we'd just spend time, Grandpa and me. I, I loved it. Um, from the time I was, I was just a little guy, I learned just the, the, that there was somebody out there that loved me and cared for me and was, it was there for me. Uh, my grandpa gave me that incredible gift. Uh, as a kid, other s- stories uh, revolve around my dad. Though uh, my dad is a wonderful man, I have uh, so many great memories of my dad. He, he was always there. He was there at every game that I ever went to, ever ever played in. He was he coached a number of them. Um, he was always there to kind of give me some some good advice and to keep me moving in the right direction. And one story that kind of represents some of that had to do with a season when I was. Um, Playing little league baseball, I think I was in the eighth grade, and and at the end of the season they name an all star team, and I wasn't on that all star team. I was named an alternate to that all star team, and uh, you know this to an eighth grade's mind was was a great injustice. And I gathered with my friends, and we were complaining about how unfair Little League was. I mean, you know it. Little League's crooked. And and we were were convinced of that fact, and we were going to to make a big point of that. And and me and my friends, uh, some other friends who were alternates on this team, we're going to stage a boycott and not show up to the all-star exhibition game that was going to happen that night. And I still remember my dad coming home, and I'm telling him my plan. And my dad says, that is absolutely not going to happen. You're putting your gear on and you're going to that game right now. Think of all the other people that didn't get a chance to be named an alternate. Uh, If I ever had a risk of growing up with a feeling of entitlement, my dad would never let that happen. He wanted me to work hard and to show up and to not complain and to have a good attitude. He taught that in me from the time I was a little kid. Uh, He also taught me the value of authority. I remember when I first got my driver's license and I had a curfew, and uh, I, I was making home at the curfew for a while, but then there was a night when I didn't come home to my curfew. And, you know, I figured if you're going to miss it by five, you might as well miss it by a couple hours. And and so I came home late thinking if I waited long enough, everybody would be asleep and nobody would know what time I actually got home. And I remember opening the door and walking in, and my dad is sitting there on the fireplace like this, just staring at me. And and I see my dad, and um, I just look at him, and he looks at me, and, and I walk to my my bedroom, and I closed the door and I turned out the light and I went to bed, clothes on and everything. True story. And, and uh, from that date, my dad and I have never talked about that event, um, but I never came home late again um, because I knew he'd be waiting like a pit bull in the, in the living room, you know. Um, and, and I learned the value of, of authority from my dad. I mean, you know, the, these two men that God gave me in life, I mean, just incredible gifts, my grandfather and my dad. Um, Both played a huge role in my life, and God has blessed me. But you know what? Their role was different. Granddad's role and dad's role were different. When we look at the pages of Scripture, what we see in Scripture is that that God is calling us to look at him and relate to him in a familial kind of way. God wants to relate to us uh, as family. And in this family role, God has a particular role. Uh, It's not His grandfather, it's His father. I think that we can sometimes in our lives get confused. We think of God as our grandpa and not as our dad, and because of that, we can end up in some spots uh, that aren't really good for us and can have some wrong views of God and beliefs about life. And so what I want us to do today as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11, is I want us to reflect a little more on what does it mean to know that we are God's children and that He is our Father and not our Grandfather. Um, what does that mean? What does it look like? And where do we find it in Hebrews chapter 12? We're going to look at that today. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. We're going to see a few things today as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 5. The the first thing we're going to see is this. We're going to see that we are His children. We're going to see that we are His children. We are God's children. He is our Father. We see that very clearly, and we see it in verse 5 at the beginning of this section, See verse five begins, and the author of the book of Hebrews writes and says, "And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons?" And then he proceeds to head into a quotation of Proverbs chapter three, verses eleven and twelve. Proverbs three eleven and twelve is a set of verses about a father's relationship with his earthly son, about the role of the father and and how the son relates to the father and the father relates to the son. That's the whole point of Proverbs three, and in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of the book of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3 to let us know that this category of father-son applies not just to earthly fathers and their sons, but also to believers in Jesus Christ and our heavenly Father, that we can relate to Him as Father, that we are His children. Now, this is something that we're very familiar with if we've been around Christianity for any period of time. We, we hear about people calling God Father. We learn it in the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. We talk about it in prayer with other people. We talk about Father this and, and, and God our Father. We, we, that's language that we use frequently. We talk about God our Father. But, but here's the thing. When we talk about God as our Father and we become so familiar with the concept, sometimes we can forget the amazing fact that we are His children, that the God of the universe would call those of us who are in Christ His kids that he would welcome us into his family, that he would welcome us to his table. This notion that we who have nothing, spiritually speaking, have been adopted into God's family who has everything. We who have nothing have been given everything because of our association with him. All of the rights and the blessings and the privileges of being a son of God are ours because God has invited us to the table. This notion of somebody who has nothing being offered into a family that has everything is, is something that, that moves our hearts. This is why when we see the video earlier about what is going on in Haiti, we, we're, we're, we're moved, we're motivated to get involved because we'd love to be about a story where a child who has no family could have one, a child that is in extreme poverty could have plenty to eat, a child that has no relationship with his brothers and sisters because they've been separated suddenly is in a family with brothers and sisters that love him. We love the story about a child that has nothing joining a family that has everything. This is why when we watch TV growing up as kids, we like the show Different Strokes. You know, Willis and Arnold had nothing. Mr. Drummond invited them into the family. They had everything. This is why we liked Happy Days. Though he didn't become a Cunningham by living upstairs, Fonzie became a part of the Cunningham family. He became a benefit from Mrs. C's cooking. He had no family of his own, but he had the benefit of the fatherly wisdom of Mr. C., The stories that we saw on TV growing up, we we related to them, we liked them, we were motivated by them because they were stories of someone who had nothing being invited into a family and all the blessing that came with it that had everything. Um, This is why we are are moved in the story of the movie Gladiator where Maximus Decimus Aurelius, who is a common soldier, is invited into the royal family by Caesar Marcus who wants to cede his throne to him. The, the, the guy that had no right to the throne would be given the throne because he was adopted into the family of Caesar on his deathbed. See, we're, we're, moved, we're motivated by stories of children that have nothing getting everything as they're brought in, and we're moved by it. But the thing we need to always remember, we need to always remember this, that that story is not just a story in television shows. It's not just a story in an orphanage someplace. It's not just a story in movies. That story is our story. We are spiritual orphans who had nothing to offer, and the God of the universe who had everything invited us to the table and gave us all that we need. When we talk about relating to God as our heavenly Father, we're talking about Him giving us everything when we deserved nothing. Now, one thing that I think is interesting when you see this and when you begin to think about the fact that God has calling us his children. This passage only calls us his sons. And if you look, you know, and we've got, uh, I'm going to put the whole passage up there from 5 to 11. Um, Look at how many places the word son or sons is used. I've I've highlighted them in yellow. If you can read that, you don't need new glasses. Congratulations. But um, if you can't read it, just look at the colors. Um, Everywhere where you see yellow is the word son or sons in the passage. See the idea in in this passage is that we are not just children, but we are sons. And if if you're not male, if you're female, you might think that you've been left out of the equation in this way, or or that somehow this text is is uh, you know sexist or biased against women. In fact, the opposite is true. See, in the ancient world, it was not sons and daughters who were we would receive an inheritance, but it was only the sons. Firstborn son would get more, but it was to the sons that the inheritance would go, not to the daughters. And I think very intentionally here that the author of the book of Hebrews calls all of us his sons because he wants everyone to know if you're in Christ, male or female, that you are the recipient of the same amount of blessing and provision and honor and gifting and forgiveness, and everything that that goes with being adopted into God's family is bestowed upon is, is the inheritance of anyone who is trusted in Christ, male or female. We're all sons in the kingdom of God, not losing our maleness or femaleness, but he's using it in a very specific way, talking about the inheritance that we have as believers in Christ. See, we, all of us, if we know Christ, have had this incredible story of having nothing but being given everything of having no family being invited into his family, of having no inheritance and having the inheritance of the God who owns it all. You see, we are his children, and we should never, ever forget that. Now, when we think about this notion that we are his children or that he is our father, uh, some of us will have an easier time accepting that. Some of us have an easier time grasping it. Some of us have a, an easier time accepting that as a good thing. There are some in this room that when you hear about God as our father, you don't even, might, even not even not might not even know why. But at some level, deep inside you, that makes you angry or uncomfortable. And the reason why is if you have a, a bad relationship with your father, if, if your father was not good to you, if your father was was bad to you in so many ways, then you might be carrying a vision of this role of father that is negative and not positive. And so when I say that God is my father, I think of the positive things from my dad and I, I think about the fact that I get to be a part of God's family too and that's a good thing. If you had a bad experience with your family growing up, with your father, then, then you might have a hard time transitioning to God as your heavenly father. You know, if your dad was abusive if your dad was absent, if your dad did nothing but tear you down with his words, if your dad was was uh, um, had no idea how to relate to you and just ignored you, um, all of those things are, are possible, right? And in a room this size, I'd, I'd be naive to not think that. He, that a good number of people, that's not the experience that you have with your dad. And if, if that's the case, then, then dad and father for you was, was not something positive. It was, it was something negative. And if we're not careful, we can transition that over and think that God, our heavenly father, is like our earthly father. But that's not what the point of God as our heavenly father is about at all. The point of God as our heavenly Father is that all of us, regardless of the experience of our earthly Father, have the opportunity to experience a relationship with the ultimate Father, with the Father that loves us, with the Father that is perfect, with the Father that is selfless. We have the opportunity to relate to to that God, and and if we want to, to embrace God as our Father, one of the things that I think is helpful is not to compare Him to our earthly Father, but to compare Him to who He is revealed to us in His Word. Some of the things that we can look at that help us to understand the character of God and help us to to appreciate the fact that He is our Father, one of the things we need to reflect on is the fact that He'll never leave us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God speaking says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If You had a dad that walked out of your life, walked out of your house at some point and said, see you, and maybe you haven't seen him in years and years. Know that your heavenly Father will never do that. Your heavenly Father says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Our heavenly Father also will never fail us. Look at what it says over in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 16. It says, so we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The idea is that God abides, God remains. His love abides, His love remains with us. If you had a relationship with your father where you felt like He was withholding His love for you or His love was fickle, we can know that God's love is not fickle. God will not withhold His love. If we are His children, His love abides with us. He's always with us in love. He also is willing to offer us His wisdom. Look at uh, James chapter 1 and verse 5. James 1, 5 says this, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you've ever had a desire to Sit down with your dad and have him share a godly perspective with you, but because of his orientation of life, his perspective on things, you've never been able to have that blessing. Know that your heavenly Father says, Come to me if you need wisdom, and I will always grant it. We have a Father, a heavenly Father, who is willing to give us his wisdom. We have a God who is willing to provide for us the things that we need. Look over in in Matthew, in chapter 6, and in the section known as the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking to his people, he says in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, we if you grew up in an experience where your father didn't provide for your family, maybe he withheld child support, maybe he just didn't care and he bought things for himself and didn't provide things for you. I Know that this Father that we have in heaven is different. He's a Father that knows our needs and provides for them. He's also a God who is for us. Romans in chapter 8, Verse 31 says it this way. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The God of the universe is is for us. He's not out to get us. He's not out to make us look stupid, to make us look bad, to to take us into things that are are bad for us so he can laugh at us. See, we have a God who is for us, who wants the best for us, who will work together, a couple of verses before this, all things for the good for us. You see, this heavenly Father that we have is is amazing, and He calls us His children and invites us to relate to Him in that way. You see, we are His children. Now, that's one thing we need to see from this passage. But the second thing we need to see is not just that we're His children, but also that we are not His grandchildren. We're not his grandchildren. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, I'm gonna preface these comments by saying if you are a grandparent, if you're a grandparent, raise your hand. I love you, your kids love you, your grandkids love you, okay? Uh, I love my grandpa. I began talking about how much I love my grandfather. So this is not a shot at grandparents, okay? But let's think about some of the differences in the role between a grandparent and a parent. Now, some of you as grandparents have had to step into the role as parent with your grandkids. But typically, the role of grandparent is different than parent. See, a grandparent has the ability to show up and give the child sugary drinks and enjoy that experience with them and then leave and let the parents take care of the rest, right? Uh, Grandparents have the opportunity to buy that toy that is enormous Without having to worry about where it's going to fit within the house, um, grandparents have the ability to watch the grandchildren's behavior and call it cute because they don't have a key role in the process. See, we grandparents have just a different role as the parent. You know, grandparents are able to be at somewhat of a distance to communicate love and encouragement, and then to swoop in at Christmas and give some gifts. But a parent has a little bit of a different responsibility, and it's important to see that distinction. See, God relates to us not as a grandparent. As a grandparent, some of we think that way. We think that God swoops in at Christmas, He gives us a gift, He sits at a distance, and He He tells us that He loves us. We get to spend some good times with Him, maybe here or there, and if your view of, of God is something like that, then you're viewing God as your granddad, not as your dad. Because the parental role is different. Parents bear a different level of responsibility. And, and what that responsibility is, is, is found for us in verses 5 to 11. I'm going to read all of them for us, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Hebrews 12 beginning in verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you were just to look at those verses, what is the dominant word in that section? Discipline. It's mentioned over and over again in all of its various forms, noun, verb, etc. You see the, on the screen behind me, uh, everywhere the word discipline or disciplines or disciplined is listed up there, it's, it's, it's in yellow. It's a very frequently mentioned topic here. Um, essential to our understanding of God in the role of father, is understanding God's role in discipline in our lives. Now, here, this and this is absolutely critical. When you think about God disciplining us, we need to absolutely be clear on what that word discipline means, or we're going to fall into some error in our understanding and perspective of God. You see, if we interpret discipline as punitive punishment or wrath, then we think that God's role with us is to constantly punish us for our sin, to take out His wrath and His anger for our sin on us on a regular basis, that that's what this word discipline means. And if we are to to have that perspective, it will be the wrong perspective for what this word really implies. The word discipline, here so translated, is not a word that means punitive punishment or wrath. You see, God's wrath for us, God's punishment for us for our sin was dealt with where? On the cross, completely. All of God's wrath for your sin and mine was dealt with on the cross. God's discipline of us is not punitive punishment or wrath. God's discipline for us is instead training. Uh, This word that is translated discipline here consistently in Hebrews 12 is translated in a different way in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy 3, we have this this famous section where the Word of God and its value and purpose and role are, are outlined for us. And in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, the Apostle Paul uses this same word that is translated discipline in Hebrews 12, he uses it and it's translated a different way. It says, "...all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness." The word discipline is very easily translated training. The idea is not a punitive punishment or wrath. The idea is training, correction, coaching. What God wants to do with our lives is is not just see us occasionally, tell us that He loves us always, and send us gifts at Christmas. God wants to be much closer than that. God wants to relate to us as a Father, and He wants to train us up for a specific purpose for our lives. He loves us that much, that He wants us to live the life that He's called us to live. He wants us to live the life that is best for us. The direction that God wants to train us is found back in chapter 12 of Hebrews in in verse 10. It says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us, God. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. God is training us. God is coaching us up in the direction of His holiness. God loves us enough that He doesn't want us to live our life focused on and preoccupied by and and living out sinful lives that aren't good for us. He's much more involved than that because He loves us too much. He wants to guide us, train us, shepherd us, point us in the direction of us living a life that is not marked by those things, but of us living a life that is marked by His holiness. This is something that God only does with His children. This passage is very clear that fathers, if they truly love their children and only to their children do they train. This is true for us as parents. You know, I can have a whole set of five-year-olds in my house, and you know whose conduct I'm most concerned about? My son. Now, that doesn't mean that I might not offer some pointers, some tips, some encouragement to the other band that is, that is mob, gang, whatever you want to call them, that's, that's formed around the house, but I have a special responsibility to my son. And if I were to neglect that responsibility, I would not be loving him. If I were to allow him to persist in behavior that is not good for him, that would, that would not be a demonstration of my love for him. Because I love him, I want to correct him. I want to point him in the right direction. I want to help him live out the things uh, that, that God has called him. Now, we can think of a number of examples in our lives that are like this, number of examples of this. And I, I'll maybe give you, a, you know, one specific example with my son. Again, i got a five-year-old son. He's a wonderful guy, um, but he has a need for a dad, right? You have a five-year-old in your house. You used to have a five-year-old in your house. He has a need for a dad. He has a need for a mom. He has a need for a parent to come alongside him because there are things he needs to learn in his behavior and life. Right now, for some reason, those things tend to center around the dinner table. Um, he has a need for some loving correction in his life around the dinner table. Um, it, it begins in the fact that I think he is allergic to his chair. He just can't sit in it. He, he wants to. He's in. He's out. He wants to bounce around. Any excuse, give a hug, go get this, go get that, go play a little bit. He just has such a hard time sitting in that chair. We want him to learn to sit in his chair through dinner. Um, if, if he can't do that, if he can't sit there and be polite and and do that during dinner, then we will ask him to go and sit in his room until he can come back and and join the rest of the family and fellowship and dinner. What are we doing when we do that? Are we trying to be punitive and wrathful? No, we're trying to offer some corrective steps so that he could end up enjoying a meal as a human. If he is is sitting there um, with some salt and pepper shakers by him at the table and he cannot... Uh, help but treat them as action figures and clank them together. We need to remove the salt and pepper shakers and move them to the other side of the table so that he can learn to eat dinner here. We're not going to let him bounce off the walls, bounce off people, bounce off the table because we want him to eat, not as a a monkey but as a person. And and it's our love for him that draws us to do that. Now, here's the interesting thing about that experience. As we are correcting him at the table, um, as we are correcting him in life, um, you know what, what doesn't happen frequently? Hey, thanks, Dad. Dad, thank, thanks for making me sit here. Thanks for fixing the asparagus, Mom, uh, so that I could eat and be nourished by these, these delicious vitamins that are packed within each, each bite. Um, that, that really never happens, right? Um, it is painful for him in the moment, um, and yet it is profitable for him in life, In chapter 12, verse 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, our Heavenly Father loves us so much. He loves us so much that He doesn't want us to persist in a life of sin and independence from God. And His tools that He will use to correct us don't always feel great. As a matter of fact, sometimes they're downright painful, and yet the pain that we experience because of our sin is a gift of God, a part of His coaching, a part of His training that we would learn that life apart from Him is not as satisfying as we think it is. See, God is not our granddad. God is our dad. He is close. He wants to shepherd us. He wants to guide us. He wants to train us. He wants to coach us in holiness. And he has a number of things that he can use to help train us in that direction. We saw in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that he uses his word. When you read God's word, it's a training manual. It points us in the direction of his holiness. It points us in the direction of the life that we were created to live. When we read God is, is training us that. Uh, We we also have the gift of His Spirit inside of us. That There are times when we have feelings and senses of things we ought to do, of of things we should not do, of conversations we should have, of, of places we should go, of places we should not go. Those promptings and leadings of the Spirit within us are a part of God's training and coaching process of us in life, directing us in the paths that He wants us to go. It happens through His body, through His people. As we gather together and we encourage one another in Christ, as we look into God's Word together and we relate to one another, the Spirit of God can be working through the mouths of those around you and their actions and activities to help point you in the direction of holiness. That God is coaching us through that. And God is also coaching us and training us through our pain. When we sin and we experience the negative consequences of that sin, that becomes opportunity for God to coach us in the direction of holiness. When we have done no sin that we know of that's related to something, but we experience a difficult or a painful moment, it becomes an opportunity for God to coach us into what it looks like to trust Him in a deeper way. You know, for for Kimberly and I, she's going to have her transplant on the 30th of July, and we're going through this right now. Uh, One of my big prayers in this for us is that we would see this experience of going through this trial, going through this difficulty, not as just something to get through and not just a medical event, but it's an opportunity for God to coach us in holiness. I don't know what you've got in your lives. I don't know what's going on with you right now. I don't know what you're facing this next week, the things that will unfold, the struggles that you're going through. But know that God loves you so much that he's not just going to visit you at Christmas and give you some gifts. But he's going to come alongside you and train you and equip you and point you in the direction of the life that you were created to live. I want to end by asking the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a closing song here in just a moment. But I want to invite you to think forward into your week. I want you to think forward into the things that you're going to be experiencing this week, the things you're going to be going through this week. Some of those things you know about, some of those things you don't, but I want you to look ahead. And as you look ahead at your week, this is what I'd ask you to do by faith. By faith this week, see everything that unfolds, not as just a disconnected random event, but as an opportunity for God to coach you in the direction of righteousness. Think of your life as an opportunity for God, the good and the bad, the painful and the not painful. Are opportunities for God to direct us and to coach us, to train us, to discipline us, to know Him, and to live life. If we make that decision in advance and we look at our lives that way, I really think that God will take us farther faster than if we lived it out on our own. This morning, we're going to close by by singing a song together, Jesus Paid It All. I think it's such an appropriate song for us to close with uh, because... We've talked about how this word discipline appears all over Hebrews 12, and yet sometimes we can think of discipline as as punitive wrath and penalty, when in reality, God sees it as training. And, And there's no better way for us to remind ourselves of that than by singing the song that declares that Jesus paid for all of the wrath of God towards us, so that His relationship with us is training. Nothing else. Please stand and join us.